Welcome in, everyone, to episode 25 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I'm Kenny Cocker, and joined by my co-host, Mr. Jake Hugh. Oh, yeah. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another week. as little one episode week this week, so we're going to get right to things. Um, last week, we broke down and talked about bits. We had a dogs matchup against Mississippi State. We talked a little bit about other sports, a little bit about the Falcons and what to expect, and... Uh, now we got another week, and we're going to kind of compress everything into one episode. So, thank you guys so much for listening to us. If you're watching on YouTube, look right here. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, at Peach State Pod. If you're listening to us on the podcast side of things, be sure to check us out on YouTube, at Peach State Tailgate. Get it, get in here a little bit early. We do BSing. Um, Jake and I have been kind of rambling on about some stuff, which is what we're about to dive into right here, but... Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you guys so much for interacting with us, and be sure to, to keep it up and give us some feedback so we can help make the show better. Now, let's go ahead and dive right into this conversation, because Jake and I, to give you a little bit of a preview, we're talking about the Falcons and, and what's going to happen these past couple of weeks and where we stand. And, um, you know, I'll start, I started off by saying, boys, it was a hell of a run. It was. It, it, was, a, it was a good run. We were a playoff team for a couple weeks there. It felt good. All of a sudden, Tampa Bay figured out how to play football, and a lot of other teams started figuring out how to play football, and it seemed like we just you know, didn't get any better. And uh, here we are. So that brings us to the unique situation of where are we going to be come draft time next year? What it's, do you think, Jake? Oh, man. I actually have it pulled up right now. Um, right now we sit with the 12th pick in the NFL draft. Looking ahead, uh, obviously we got a big game against Chicago coming up this weekend, but we ha- we have some games. We have some games coming up for these Atlanta Falcons. Um, Chicago, Washington, Pittsburgh, uh, three teams that are playing pretty decent football right now, I, I will say. Then we go to New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans is kind of dumpster fire right now. We know how that works. We're going to, or- to New Orleans, which is never a good thing for the Falcons. Then we have Baltimore, Arizona, Tampa Bay. The Falcons still have playoff hopes if we can manage to win out. But there's also a very likelihood that we could lose out, boys. And if we lose out, we might be sitting pretty in that NFL draft. And like Katie was saying, we were talking about, about our tank and thought. We're talking about, oh, is Desmond Ritter the next guy? Are we going to see him? Or are these Atlanta Falcons going to want to take a quarterback in the first round of this draft? Which everybody, every one of these big-time analysts, all these big-head sports guys, are saying this is a loaded quarterback class. This is a class where there's three, four, five guys you can pick up that are going to be like, you know, impact guys to your franchise. You know, there's four quarterbacks that are going to be drafted in the top 15. Um, Anthony Richardson. Um, wait, hold up. Is is he still in the conversation, or, or is, is it settled that he's probably going to go back to college? I, I don't know where that's going right now. So I'm looking at Mel Kiper stuff right here, and. Mel Kiper had Anthony Richardson as the 12th prospect among all positions to start this year off, which we've already talked about on this show as being absolutely absurd. Um, he's got him as his 27th prospect right now in the entire draft. Um, now, Mel Kiper is like the authority when it comes to these mock drafts and like power rankings for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. Um, he's just probably a guy that got hired for that position. And that's who everybody listens to. Uh, because nobody knows what the hell's going on unless you're a GM or involved with these NFL teams. But El Kuyper currently has C.J. Stroud as the number one quarterback in this class. 
Will mm. Levis as the number two quarterback in this class. Mm. Bryce Young as three. Oh, there he is. Uh, and then Anthony Richardson at four, Tyler Van Dyke at five. You guys, uh, I'm going to tell you this right now. There's not a quarterback in this NFL draft that is better than Bryce Young. Um, and that is – if you sit down and watch football, you you know that. <laughs> uh, I, I know Alabama's a shaky team this year. Bryce Young's numbers are not as inflated as they were last year. But sit down and watch this guy play football. This is the most talented – what he can do with his arm is the closest thing to Patrick Mahomes we have seen, in my personal opinion. The stuff that he can do, getting out of the pocket and making crazy throws, sidearm, all types of stuff, is the closest thing we've seen to Patrick Mahomes. I do think his NFL comp would be more like a Russell Wilson type, which, you know, Broncos country really ain't riding this year, and Russell Wilson really ain't cooking. But Russell Wilson was a top-five quarterback in the NFL for a decade, so uh, I don't think that's a very bad comp either. Um, Josh Allen, I know that everybody likes to say, oh, Josh, I said Josh Allen. Will Levis, everybody likes to say Josh Allen. Uh, They have one similarity. They were both bad in college football. The only thing is Josh Allen figured things out in the NFL. I don't know if you can bank on every bad quarterback figuring things out in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's get one thing straight here. These people are saying that Will Levis is the next Josh Allen because he's big, white, and has a strong arm. That's it. <laughs> that is it. So Anthony Richardson's an oh wait, never mind. He he's not white. I think that might yeah, be the if issue An- right there. I I swear to you, if Anthony Richardson was a white guy, they would be saying this guy's the next Josh Allen. It is sad how that – it is very, very sad how that stuff works, man. It, it, it is – these comps – if you ever look at, like, comps in the NFL or, you know, everywhere, every sport, they like to go – they like to go with a, a similarity of the skin tone, which which is very messed up. They don't really like to go outside of things. And it, it's funny because I think Anthony Richardson said he, he tries to – you know, play his game like Aaron Rodgers is what he said. He tries to model his game after Aaron Rodgers. And even if he was out there looking exactly like Aaron Rodgers, that would never be the comp he would get. They'd be like, oh, yeah, this guy's the next oh, Lamar. No. This, this guy's the next Lamar Jackson. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's how it works. It's like that oh, it was that Bill Burr joke talking about how when, uh, when a white athlete makes a good play, they always say, oh, that's a smart play. When a black athlete makes a play, they always talk about how big of a freak of nature he is. And how athletic he is. And that's really is the case here because you talk about comps. Like you're comparing a guy to Josh Allen and Will Levis, where and I understand Josh Allen wasn't great in college, but the only similarities between these guys are that they're big and they're white and they can somewhat move and they have strong arms. Well, let me go ahead and tell you this. Like nine out of ten quarterbacks that are starting in uh division one football right now are Plus size, they're they're probably six one, six two, or on the top end of that. I think Will Levis is six three, mm-hmm. so he's not he's not massive. Um, they can move a little bit, and they've got strong enough arms to get the ball down the field. So saying this guy's like Josh Allen because he's tall, athletic, and has a strong arm. I mean, tall, athletic, and strong arm. That's a dime a dozen in college football. Yes, it's not really something that you're looking for, and. If you're you're absolutely right. If Anthony Richardson, dude, I mean, I think Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are actually not ridiculously far apart. I don't in, think so either at all. And and how ready they are to be in the NFL. I don't think either of them are anywhere close to being ready in the NFL. 
mean, you can make an an argument that Anthony Richardson isn't ready to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. So, no. but it, I will be honest with you, Kenny. Right now, if I was going to take a de, de, oh my god, my words, a de, <laughs> developmental. There we go. Developmental hey. piece at my quarterback position. I'm taking Anthony Richardson all day, all day, every day, no problem. Because there's one thing about the NFL we've seen. If you're a guy that has a dynamic run game, and I can't, that's not saying Will Levis can't run the ball because he can, but Anthony Richardson has a game-changing level run game. Hey, he runs a 4-4. Four, four. If he can figure out the arm thing, the dude's going to be set in the league. I think Will Levis has a little bit, I think Will Levis has to be a passer. He can't just be your running type quarterback in the NFL. He has to also be a passer, like a Josh Allen. Like, I do think I do think Anthony Richardson does have some potential at the next level. I just think that he has a lot of work to do. And he won't be he won't be drafted as a guy that's going to be expected day one. I could see the only way I see him being a, like a, a first round pick, and it's kind of sad because you know, you look at Lamar. Lamar was a guy that had insane, insane production at the college level. Numbers were crazy. He won a Heisman trophy at Louisville, and he was a guy that barely got drafted in the first round. So to even think about a guy like Anthony Richardson to be, you know, even in that conversation when he's a primarily, you know, running quarterback at this point in his career to, you know, be drafted in the same area that Lamar Jackson was coming out of Louisville. is kind of, kind of hilarious to me. I'll be honest with you. And you can call it a hot take if you want to, but I'm looking at Mel Kuyper's quarterback rankings right now. I already mentioned some of these. He's got CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, um, I said Tyler Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke was actually preseason ranking. At five, he's got Hendon Hooker. At six, he's got Bo Nix. Um, I would draft Bo Nix before I drafted Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. I agree. I, I think yeah, there, there's a, there's some guys right there. I, I know Hendon Hooker has an age problem, but I think if you're a GM and you draft Anthony Richardson over Hendon Hooker, you should be fired right away. Like There's, there's levels to this. There's levels to this for sure. <laughs> I... I I don't know, man. It's uh, you can make an argument that you should draft Max Duggan before you draft Anthony Richards. Facts. That that is true. Um, <laughs> so, welcome to welcome to Peach State tailgate, guys. Uh, yeah. Let me let me break down these Braves moves right quick, Kenny. I, I'm gonna break down All these right. Braves stuff right 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 quick. We'll hop right back into the uh, we'll hop right back into the the football talks. Uh, quick, quick little thing. Braves went out. We signed uh, Nick Anderson, former reliever for the Tampa Bay Rays, guy that had some success, but he had dealt with some injuries and he kind of fell off the rails a little bit. Low leverage deal. I think he's getting paid like nine hundred thousand if he plays the major league level, like three hundred thousand if he's in the minor leagues. But he's a guy that could be a big piece in the bullpen, so I'm excited to see that. Um, also, we had made some moves to protect some guys from the Rule Five Draft. Uh, we added Braden Shoemake. Um, you know, former pretty big shortstop prospect, guy that hasn't really been able to find his bat you know, in the minor league level. But he's still a guy that is intriguing enough for us to make this move. Uh, along with pitchers, Rodier, Rodery, I'm sorry, Rodery Munoz and Darius Vines. Uh, Darius Vines is a guy I've been really high on. I like Darius Vines a lot. He made it up to the AAA level last year. I don't think he pitched particularly good in the AAA level, but he's lit up the minor leagues throughout his career. So I, I'm excited to see if, you know, he can possibly make a move up to the major leagues at some point this coming up season. Um, you know, along with that, we DFA three guys. William Woods, uh, and Silvino Bracco, two uh, right-handed relief pitchers, and the worst one of the day, Guillermo Heredia. Uh, 
fan favorite. I think everybody will always love Guillermo. He's gonna he's gonna be a very memorable brave for anybody that's been around for these past couple postseason runs, seeing what he's been doing in the dugout and stuff. But you know, keep your eyes on it, man. We can get this guy back on a minor league deal and you know run it back with him. But as of right now, he is a free agent in the major leagues. So you know, we love you, Guillermo, and you know, best of luck going forward in the future. Yeah, man, Guillermo's a he's been a I don't want to say a staple for this Braves team because he's not necessarily been a factor on the field too much, but as far as a you know locker room piece or a dugout personality or just a morale booster, like you can't ask for a better person than Guillermo Heredia to get the boys fired up. And you know, I mean, he's the best cheerleader on the side of the field. I mean, he's he's going to cheer louder than any fan in the stadium. He's going to care more about you than any you know fan watching at home. Like he's just. He's been uh, like almost the face of Braves fans for the past couple of years. I mean, you celebrate with your uh, little foam tomahawks and you see Guillermo down there doing the chop with the sword and all the celebrations. Like he's just, it, it seems like he's a fan on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of a guy where it seemed like, I mean, it didn't even seem like it. It was this, this was the case that they were, you know, triple a players better suited to contribute on the field than Guillermo Heredia. But for what he provided off the field or on the sidelines of the field or whatever you want to call it, it was worth having him up there. So, uh, yeah, man, it sucks, but you know, business is business and baseball is baseball. And, you know, we're trying to get guys in there to help us compete to win another world series. And I understand the move. I do too. A hundred percent. Um, and that leads me to our next move. Another minor one. Uh, we acquired, Relief pitcher, right-hander, Dennis Santana from the Rangers. For cash, um, this led to us DFAing Jackson Stevens. Um, kind of an interesting thing because Jackson Stevens, you know, did have some really good success with the Braves last year. He was kind of one of those guys that came out of nowhere and, you know, was a pretty big contributor in this bullpen. But this is definitely an upside move. You know, this Braves bullpen is already pretty loaded next year. And Dennis Santana is a, a young, you know, 26-year-old righty that, uh, even though he hasn't put together the best, you know, numbers in his major league career but he has a lot of upside he's a guy that has you know pretty filthy guy got got some pitches he could throw um and i'm excited to see him pitch uh jackson stevens was always a guy that's kind of like okay we got jackson stevens in but you know like cool yeah jackson stevens is weird he was almost like a guy that you knew when he came out there that there was an opportunity or not an opportunity there was a chance that he was going to be really really good or really really average yes it seemed like he he was never really terrible but you knew what you were going to get from him with the possibility of him being really really good so um i don't know this i feel like this move was kind of controversial uh from some Braves fans um but when you really kind of delve into the numbers and see everything jackson stevens really wasn't amazing for us so I mean, we've talked about this pitching staff of what we're trying to do, um, you know, starting rotation and in the bullpen of just get some guys in here, maybe get some more experienced guys in here and just kind of revamp it a little bit and improve it as much as you can. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Jackson Stevens was one of the strong points of this bullpen. No, he was he was just your prototypical middle middle relief guy, not really a guy you want to pitch, you know, late in ball games and close games. Where Dennis Santana is more of a guy that, you know, like I said, he does have a he does have a you know low floor at this point in his career because you know last year was a pretty bad season, but the ceiling is very very high. And this is a guy that if he can put it together, he's going to be a back end type guy. Which you know every you can never have too many back end bullpen guys because 
you never know, you know, you might play a three-game series in three days, and every single game is a one-run ball game going into the eighth inning. So, you know, you kind of need guys like that around. So, you know, I, I, I'm not against the move. Uh, Jackson Stevens, another damn good brave. We love you in Atlanta. And best of luck. He'll be, a, he'll be on a major league roster next year for sure. Oh, well, yeah, he absolutely will, man. Somebody's going to give him a shot. And just a couple things to round it off. Uh, no surprise here, Danzy Swanson declined his qualifying offer. This is something that everybody saw. Um, he's going to go out and get paid big money by some team, hopefully the Atlanta Braves. Uh, also, we have award winner Michael Harris has won the NL Rookie of the Year. This is something that me and Kenny both predicted uh, for the past couple things, saying he was probably going to be the winner. And it came true. Um, Spencer Strider was uh, in second place, and both guys uh, – had every single first place vote and all but one second place vote. So um, there was one guy that voted for uh, Edwin Diaz's brother as a second place vote, uh, Alexis Diaz. He had one second place vote. And I thought it was crazy. Um, and, you know, that, that was Strider that he took his spot. Um, but now I looked at the numbers, and I, I still think Spencer Strider should have had the second place vote over him. But, I mean, like he had like 60 games, like a one point eight ERA out of the bullpen, crazy strikeout numbers. So I was like, okay, the, the kid did have a good rookie year, but come on, man. Spencer Strider, like him over Spencer Strider, uh, you know, legendary rookie starting pitcher. It was kind of crazy to see. Yeah, get out of here. He was from New York. Definitely. He was, poor. He was pulling for Edwin. Facts, pulling for Edwin's brother. Um, I don't think I have anything else. Oh, yeah, Max Freed did come in second place in, in El Cy Young voting, which is cool. I was happy to see that. Um, Alcantara was unanimous in first place votes, had every single one of them, which is something that everybody expected because he did, you know, he did what he did every fifth day and was the most consistent pitcher in baseball. But that wraps it up for me. Yeah, man, Alcantara, I was talking about this with my dad yesterday when the news came across about Sandy and how uh, I feel like we get to see a little bit more Sandy because he's an NL East guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, this dude, we've seen him for years, man. He's been lights out for a long time and, um, really was able to put it together this year and just have an amazing season. So, um, even though he's a rival and he's a Marlin, I'm, I'm really happy for Sandy. He's a guy that I don't think anybody dislikes him. Do you know, do you know how he got in Miami? I don't think so. Whenever the Marlins traded Marcelo Zuna to the Cardinals. Really? Yes, he was he was a part of that package coming back to Miami. As a no name. So, you know, it's funny how the chains connect. <laughs> it's funny. Now we have Marcelo Zuna batting two twelve and uh Sandy Alcantara is winning Cy Youngs. And I yeah. I don't I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. Dude is a horse on the mound. He's something that's that pretty, you don't see in present day baseball. That's pretty good foreshadowing to when we send Marcelo Zuna in cash considerations for Sandy Alcantara this week. Oh, I can't wait. AA is going to pull it off. And he's going to sign Sandy Alcantara to a 10-year, $8 million deal. 10-year, $8 million, and then uh, and then uh, freaking judge. Yeah. God. But <laughs> 47-year, $20 million deal. If I don't throw up on camera trying to get that out. That judge. Oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree 100%. That's it for Braves for me, though. I don't have any, any Hawks, anything like that. Hawks beat the Bucks again. There we go. I'll give you Hawks stuff. Hawks are 2-0 and against the Bucks. We get our butts whooped by Boston last night. So, eh, you know, keep it going. Basketball season is a long season. They play like every other day. So, don't expect me to get full breakdowns all the time. Very, very long. Much like hockey season. Canes update. Canes are playing good puck right now. 
uh, beating who we need to beat. Um, we, I, I mentioned last episode that I was excited for a couple matchups. Got a rematch against the Oilers, and then two matchups in four days, both against the uh, Stanley Cup champs, Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Um, we beat the Oilers. That was great. Um, Sebastian Ajo and the boys have been playing lights out right now. But for some reason, it seems like we're just getting outclassed on every facet of the ice by this Colorado Avalanche team. They came and whooped our tails in the first game, and I believe it is 2-0 right now, headed into the third period. Oof. So um, that is a little bit concerning. But for the most part, you know, pretty good. I mean, early on in the season, a lot of puck left to play. A whole lot of puck. Oh, by the All way, right. for my uh, for my for my player prop on Aaron Jones live live player prop update, you know, actually, I'm gonna pause that right quick. We're kind of off the rails tonight, you know. I want to give a little explanation for that. Um, if you're not a gamer, and uh, you don't already know, uh, Call of Duty Warzone came out. A little Duty Warzone came out, and it has been fresh on Kenny and I's mind. You know, I'm not gonna give y'all any stupid, you know, reason on why we only did one podcast this week. The reason is because Duty. Like, I'm going to be completely honest. We were texting, hey, you want to do a one one episode weaker because Duty just came out? Duty came out yesterday, y'all. We can't do a podcast on the day that Duty Warzone comes out. You know, I'm like level 61, looking nice and nice and steady. Kenny's just a Warzone player, so he's like level 2, so eh. But, you know. Uh, you're like 9 now. <laughs> But just a little, little just just a little little info for you guys. If we seem like we're kind of all over the place, because we are, we are completely all over the place. We are straight up knuckle deep in duty right now, dude. Yeah, I'd love being knuckle deep in duty. No? <laughs> love it, baby. <laughs> but live player prop update. You know, I had I had a little little bet on uh, I had a little bet on a little Aaron Jones under. Um, and right now twenty yards, about to be the end of the end of the half. Uh, I think my over under was set at. What was my over-under set at? Over-under was set at 57.5, so we are loving that right now. I just need uh, need Tennessee to get up a little bit more and, you know, make Green Bay start throwing the ball. To Aaron Jones, so it'll help my fantasy team. Yeah, to Aaron Jones. We'll take some Aaron Jones receiving yards all day, just no, no rushing. Hey, man. All right, you want to hop into the, to the next little segment here? Let's do it. I'm in. I'm all the way in. Right, let's talk about the dogs, man. Dogs, what? All right, we talked about last week and a couple things to expect. We're going to keep it a little bit short here because it's a pretty uneventful game to discuss. Oh, yeah. For multiple reasons. But uh, the most notable reason is going to be the Georgia Bulldogs travel down there to Starkville to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And uh, came out there with a 45-19 win, man. Um, pretty dominant win. Still would like to see us clean up the turnovers a little bit. Stetson had two interceptions in this game. One of them was a little bit fluky. The other one you can put on him. Um, just really need to clean up turnovers as a whole. Once you get into postseason, start playing these uh, upper echelon teams, you can't really get away with turnovers like we have been so far this year. And I know this Georgia team has like significantly outclassed whoever we've played, so it's been pretty easy to get away with it. But at some point, you gotta you gotta expect for it to bite you in the butt. Oh yeah. Um, so, like to see that, but I think one good point that both Jake and I made headed into this game is kind of a prediction, so to speak, is this is a game where it really gives you the opportunity to face a more pass-happy offense, uh, an offense that likes to have the ball in their offense's hands. I believe they won the toss and received, which is something you don't see a lot in college football. Um, 
So it gives us two things. Number one, it gives you an opportunity to get some defensive players in there and get some reps against an offense that plays a little bit different style of ball. And number two, it gives you an opportunity on offense to rotate in some more rotational pieces against a you know, pretty low-level defense and maybe see what you got from your bench on, in some certain aspects. There's some guys that we expected to get back from injury. Um, really expected A.D. Mitchell to suit up in this game. He did not play. Um, really good to see Kendall Milton out there playing. Came out there five carries, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Um, so I will say, Jake, I think both you and I had the same prediction, and uh looks like we were pretty right in this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we, we pretty much broke this game down to a fine perfection. The only thing we didn't predict was a couple couple key turnovers, like you mentioned. There's one of them that, you know, Stetson threw, and a defensive lineman jumped up and, and snagged it. Um, Stetson does have to clean stuff up a little bit. We've seen him get a little shaky at times. We know how Stetson is in big games. He's a big game stat. We saw it against Tennessee, so we're not too worried about it. Uh, also, uh, special teams touchdown right for half. That kind of, you know, boost Mississippi State's points and boost their love a little bit. I did hit, you know, a, a very nice pretty bet on the spread. Um, way too close, by the way. That spread was way too close. 16 and a half? Yeah. Uh, I think I actually said last week that I thought the I thought it was a good number. And I don't know why I said that. Because before the show, I told you that it wasn't a good number. So, I maybe I was, you know, knuckle deep in duty. I'm not sure what was going on. It happens. It happens. But, but no, you're absolutely right. That number was absurd. It should not have been 16 and a half. Um, no way. Yeah, Bama beat them by double that, so I expected Georgia to do something similar to that at least. Um, and it happened. So thank you, Georgia, for re you know reliving my betting account. It's one of those moments where you uh get bored and you decide, okay, I'm going to put all the money in my betting account in one game, and um that's what happened, and it paid off well for me. So thank you, Georgia, and thank you, thank dogs, you. all the way around. Uh, to Mississippi State, you played some part in that too. Thank you, dogs. Thank you, dogs. All right. You want to head into uh, what we can expect this week? Yeah, let's do it. All right, boys. We are diving into a Georgia-Kentucky matchup. Uh, One of the typically better matchups of the year. Uh, I don't want to say better as in, like, competitiveness, but Kentucky's just always, in my opinion, a fun game and a fun team to play against because they love to run the football and they love to play physical. And I love watching hard-nosed physical football. Um, especially on this Georgia team, because one of the best things about being at the University of Georgia as a player and as a fan is you are competing in the Southeast, recruiting these players in a state where you pretty much run things. Um, You talk about states like Alabama, Florida, where these states have to compete, pulling these recruits against, you know, in Florida, you talk about Florida State, Mm -hmm. Miami, even UCF, teams like that. And then in Alabama, you get Alabama and Auburn. these guys are, are battling each other for recruits. And in the state of Georgia, you look at, you know, we as far as, like, the numbers go, we have Georgia, we have Georgia Tech, Georgia Southern, Georgia State. But if you're a top recruit in the state of Georgia, odds are you're looking at Georgia and Auburn, most likely, or, like, your top two picks as far as, like, locality goes. Um, so one thing that you see with this Georgia team is that year after year we're able to bring in these top recruits. And the recruits that we bring in, these dudes are massive. Yes. O-line, O-line, D-line, these guys are huge. These are some big old country corn-fed boys that know how to lay the wood. And Kentucky is no different, man. The difference in Kentucky is the recruits they bring in just aren't as highly touted or as skilled on the maybe intangible side of things. But nonetheless, they are some big, hard-nosed boys. So this is a fun game just because of the physicality. But 
Georgia opens up as a 22.5 point favorite in this one. Uh, 48.5 is the over-under in this game. Um, interesting point here that I thought, Kentucky has a pretty good defense. Um, they're like 107 in total offense in college football right now, but I want to say they're 17 in total defense, and that is because of the passing defense. Kentucky's passing defense has been very, very good this year. Uh, Russian defense is like, I want to say like in the 50 range, so you know, somewhat average, but the passing defense has been very, very good. And when you dive into the numbers a little bit, I will say um, this Kentucky team has been pretty impressive on the defensive side of the ball. They have only given up more than 25 points in a game once, and that was Tennessee. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive, for sure. Now, on the offensive side of the ball for your Georgia Bulldogs, we have scored more than 25 in every single game this season. So I don't expect this Kentucky defense to be able to do much with this Georgia offense, but I will say when you're headed into a, the, the last couple of weeks of the year against Kentucky and the Georgia Tech headed into the SEC championship, it's never a good thing to have a couple cupcake games leading up into that. You want to get a little bit of grit in your system. We talk about it all the time in baseball, like the Braves and the Dodgers and how the Dodgers, it seems like out there in the NOS, man, like they're always so far ahead that when they head into the postseason, it's like they don't start playing actual competitive baseball until October. Mm -hmm. And for the Braves, like especially now with the NL East, like it's always more competitive leading up to them. So it's like our playoffs start in September. Yes. And – that's not the situation for the dogs. I mean, you're talking about number one team in the country undefeated. Like, we've got a pretty good handle on things. But I like to see a little bit more of a – I don't even want to say challenge, but just a little bit more of a competitor in a Kentucky matchup against the top 20 defense in college football. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and and you, you said it perfectly. Um, this Kentucky team is very, very physical. Um, we know that about Kentucky. Kentucky's been the same way since Bob Stoops got over there. That's the type yeah. of thing they like to run. Also, uh, you know, a lot of fans, we kind of look at this game as like a, a trial game. I do not think Kentucky's a good football team whatsoever. I think this is one of the worst Kentucky teams we've seen in recent years for sure. Um, and it, it kind of gets very interesting right here because this is a team, this is a game that we are not going to sleep on, that Georgia is not going to go to sleep on. This is going to be a game we are going to come out blazing. We are going to come out firing because it is Kentucky. Uh, we talk about these key SEC matchups. Um, every year, and you know, you always talk about the teams that always seem like you want to play really, really hard, no matter what. And Kentucky happens to be, you know, gotten to that echelon of team that you know, like a Florida or like a Auburn, like they are up there in that category now over the past couple of years. So this is a game that we're going to be really worked up for. Also, this is a team that likes to play very, very similar style of football to the NFL. So I expect NFL scouts to be watching this. Um, you know, not only for you know the top tier guys, but also for the middle tier and you know bottom tier guys uh, that are trying to make their way up to the league. You know, come out here and perform against Kentucky teams are gonna you know probably take a little bit more account to that than they would against most teams. No, that's absolutely right. It almost it's not as like it, it's not anywhere near the exciting matchup that the Georgia Tennessee one was. But you talk about the NFL scouts that were there and the recruits that were there showing up. Um, it kind of has a similar feel to it on a scouting perspective because you're absolutely right. This Kentucky offense is very much a pro-style team, a lot like this Georgia team, man. Um, if you're uh, a top-end running back uh, trying to come into college football and, and put some good tape out there for NFL scouts, or even a quarterback, man, we've seen this Georgia offense run this pro-style offense for years and years and years. And even with Todd Munkin, where we've been a little bit more pass savvy, it still is kind of a prototypical uh, pro-style team. This mm -hmm. is the offense you want to be in. Oh yeah. Um, 
you want to come here and you want to put in good tape in this because this Georgia offense translates very well into the NFL, and um, the Kentucky offense does as well. Um, for them, it's just a lack of, of talent. Yes. So Yes. Everybody's always said for years that Bob Stoops was kind of the guy that was doing the most with the talent he had among all college football coaches. You know, putting together quiet nine-win seasons. Uh, this year's a little different. Um, hopefully, Bob Stoops gets fired and he'll be the D.C. at Georgia whenever Will Muschamp leaves. Um, that'd be a beautiful yeah. thing. <laughs> now, I, I think it's a pretty cool thing to match up against a team like Kentucky that likes to run the ball as much as they do. Um, it's going to give us I, – I, it's not anywhere near, but it's going to give us the best – comparison at the end of the year that we can get to an LSU type offense. Um, Jaden Daniels is much more mobile than Will Levis, but Will Levis can move. And obviously you talk about like Chris Rodriguez, dude's an absolute tank back there. So um, I think it's going to give you a good opportunity to see this Georgia defense move a little bit more east to west and, and try and, and secure these guys on the ground. No, I agree. hundred um, percent. Interesting point. I wanted to mention this one. Um, Kentucky defensive coordinator, Brad White, uh, Brad White didn't even know you existed. Um, but uh, after reading this article about you, you are the smartest defensive coordinator in college football. Um, direct quote from Brad Brad White here in the uh, pregame presser this week. Um, quote, facing Stetson Bennett in college is kind of like facing Tom Brady in the NFL in that he's seen so much. He's got so much experience. We've got to try and find a way to give him something he hasn't seen. He's the best quarterback we've faced all year. No Ooh. disrespect to any. No disrespect to anyone else we've seen with this command. Hendon Hooker's playing at an extremely high level. It's just a testament to how well he's playing. Dang, I did not see that. So thank you for letting me know. And he is the smartest man on the planet. Yeah, this is an absolute football genius right here. So Brad White, we love you in Georgia. Big fan of Brad White. Come over to come over to a real staff. He can come be a defensive analyst. Yeah, come hang out. You can be a defensive recruiting specialist. Finally, somebody recognizes real talent. Well, live game update. Your Carolina Hurricanes have tied 2-2. Two, to two, two minutes left in the third period. Also, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a live update for the betting side of things as well. Um, so you know, Tennessee just scored a touchdown going to half. Uh, up 14-6 to, 14 to six right now. About 20 seconds left before halftime. No. So. Oh, it's actually halftime right now. Let's go. All right. Well, I know we're itching to get into these bets, Jake. So before we hop off the dogs, you got any finishing notes or final notes you want to hit? I'm itching. I'm itching. I'm itching. No. Go dogs. Go dogs, baby. <laughs> go dogs. I'm itching. All right. All right. All right. All right. I guess before we, ah. settle, in, before we settle into the bets, real quickly right here, let's talk about what we got from these Atlanta Falcons, man. Do we want to? Do we really have to? We don't want to. We don't want to. But we have to. We, we have to, don't we? We, we do have to. Uh, Jake, why don't you kick us off talking about this Panthers matchup? Okay, Panthers matchup. Uh, Keynote, the Falcons are not good at football. Keynote, the Panthers are also not good at football, but they beat us, so they're a little bit better at football, and honestly, they should be 2-0 against these Atlanta Falcons this year. That's my keynotes for this game. Yeah, I agree. And when you look at a, a game, this was kind of a weird one because it was like 40-mile-an-hour winds. We're coming off that tropical storm, and uh, it was like raining sideways, heavy rain, couldn't really throw the ball at all. Both of the teams were just hammering the ball on the ground. And a lot of people thought, including myself, that that was going to favor the Falcons, and it just absolutely did not. Yes. Um, 
Dante Foreman, man, 130 yards on the ground. Um, LaVisca Chenault, 42 yards on the ground. Like, these guys just ran the ball all over this Falcons team. We were not able to move the ball on the ground very effectively. Um, Marcus Mariota was the leading rusher with three carries for 43 yards. Um, it was just a pretty lackluster performance from this Falcons team. We had to dive into the pass game a little bit. Um, Marcus Mariota throwing the ball 30 times, and we've talked about it before on this show. Anytime you got to put the weight on Marcus Mariota's shoulders in the pass game and really depend on him to put you in a game passing the ball, it just hasn't been able to work for the Falcons team so far, and it's dang sure not going to work when you're out there playing in a tropical storm. No, not at all. Um, it it was a it was a very very sad game. Um, for some reason the Atlanta Falcons tend to let Deontay Foreman look like Derrick Henry when he plays us. Um, this is two times in a row now where he's went absolutely bonkers on the ground. I want to say the first game he had three tuds and now he just dropped 130 yards on us. And also 31 carries. So shout out to Carolina for letting him be an absolute workhorse. Because I will say this: Deontay Foreman is a stud. Like don't don't let me don't get me wrong. That dude can tote the ball. Like I, I, I will say this: I've not caught too many Carolina games outside of Falcons games or you know just NFL Red Zone tuning in on them whenever they they pop up. But uh, from what I've seen from him, this dude is a beast. And uh, you know Chuba Chuba Hubbard is a guy that you know I, I figured would be the guy that would be Christian McCaffrey's replacement at some point, and it is not looking like that anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know he had a little bit of an injury problem there. He was out for a few weeks, and and you saw. Deontay Foreman come in there and, and really produce, and it just seems like they're riding the hot hand here. And hopefully they keep doing that because I picked this guy up in waivers, so uh, my fantasy team is making a comeback. Hey, love to see it. It's time to start, it's time yeah. to start winning out. But, yeah, man, we're heading into a matchup against the Bears. Uh, the Bears are, <laughs> on the win side of things, it's not been very good, but they're like the hottest team in football right now. People love the Bears. Go. And performance, Justin Fields is running the ball over the place. Looks like prime Mike Vick out there right now. Yes. So it's it's going to be a pretty interesting matchup for this Falcons team. Um, we do get AJ Terrell back in the uh in, in the backfield, the defensive backfield, I should say. So that helps out in the passing game. But uh, against the Bears team, where they really do not rely on Justin Fields' arm too much, um, I'm curious to see what we can do um on the defensive side of things here. Yeah, me and you both. This is a Falcons team that is. By far dead last in the league in uh passing yards allowed. So um having a guy like AJ Terrell, obviously like a top ten cornerback in football, no matter no no matter who you ask, and some people he's a top five guy in football, is is gonna make a big difference. But the thing that scares me so much, and uh it, especially against a team like Chicago, is that they don't really have one key guy on that offense outside of Justin Fields. Like if you watch them play, it's kind of Justin Fields making plays and you know, the rest of the guys kind of mold around him. Um, I know they got Claypool. Claypool's not really anything out of the ordinary, in my opinion. Uh, they also have Darnell Moody, who's a guy that's had, you know, success in past years, but hasn't really got off to a hot start. And Cole Komet, who has been, you know, godly the past couple weeks, but um, that is not something I expect to continue. He's also questionable this week, so keep an eye on that. Um, but this is a team, man. This offense has been rolling. And I know that they have not been winning. Because they have been giving up a lot of points as well. This defense is not very good. And uh, the main reason behind that is because they've traded, you know, most of their core pieces on that defense. Yeah, man, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, it's going to be a fun playing one. At, playing at home, so that that's a, a factor. Justin Fields coming back home to Georgia. Um, so there's a couple fun things to watch in this one. Um, but for the most part, it's just going to be all of America tuning in to see if Justin Fields can keep up what he's doing. And hopefully the Falcons' uh, defense can show up and show out and, and try and limit that as much as possible against a guy that is just setting the world on fire right now. So 
I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, Falcons team, we've been struggling. Um, we said it earlier in the episode. It seems like everybody's figuring out how to play football right now. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been playing pretty good football the past couple of weeks. So um, getting a little bit slim in the division right now. And uh, if you're following this division pretty closely, the uh, NFC South has been by far, in a way, the worst division in the NFL. So the only way that you're going to get a playoff appearance playing in this division is to win it. So um, we need a lot of things to go in our favor. We need to start playing some really good football if we're going to make a run at this thing. Yeah. Um, I don't see it happening. That's all I'm going to say on that. I also have one question for you before we get off the NFL. It just came to mind. Because this is something you see a lot around Atlanta Twitter, especially right now. Was Kyle Pitts the right pick over Justin Fields, Kenny? Ooh, um, hard question. So it's 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 way okay. I'll be, I'm 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 gonna be completely like transparent right here. It's way too early to ask this question, but I'm still gonna ask it for the fun of things. I mean, I I said it a couple of weeks ago. I was a little bit fired up coming off that Bengals game where we got absolutely embarrassed. Um, I think when you spend two top ten picks in a row on Kyle Pitts and Drake London, and you're talking about guys that you're getting involved in the pass game. Like, these are two guys that you draft to be contributing factors on the passing side of things on the offense, and they have been, for the most part, non-factors for this team. Marcus Mariota is kind of like Stetson Bennett in a way that Stetson will throw absolute dimes to everyone on the field. It's on the money to Ladd McConkey. It's on the money to Kiaris Jackson. A.D. Mitchell over the top. It's absolute beautiful balls. And then he overthrows... The six foot seven biggest target on the field, Darnell Washington, by ten yards every time he targets him, and it's so weird. It's like, why is this the guy that you're overthrowing? And it's the same thing with Marcus Mariota. And I'm glad you mentioned this, Jake, because I saw a pretty interesting thing on Twitter earlier that I screenshotted, and I completely forgot I had it until now. And I want to read it on the podcast. And we did not talk about this beforehand. Obviously, I forgot about it. Okay. Um, shout out Mina Combs. Um. For context, the average quarterback throws 15% of their passes off target in the NFL. The quarterback with the worst rate in the NFL is Davis Mills. He averages 22.3% off target throws. Marcus Mariota is 26% off target when he targets Kyle Pitts. Damn! You see it a lot. That by far leads the league. And that just... it, it. perplexes me because on one side it seems like we're not giving this guy any opportunity to make plays and contribute in the pass game but when we do we can't get the ball to him I don't know if you put that solely on Marcus Mariota I don't know what the deal is but when you draft a guy like Kyle Pitts that everyone touts as this unicorn including us like this dude is an absolute freak athlete he's got the wingspan the size the athleticism the speed everything you can ask for in a tight end You've got to figure out a way to get him the football. And I don't know how much longer we can sit here and say that this guy is a generational talent without seeing something. Hey, to be fair, Kenny, I, I, I'm going to halt a little bit right here. I'm going to pump the brakes. We're only in year two, and last year he had the second most receiving yards by a tight end in a rookie season. So we, we, are, we have seen something whenever, no, we, right. whenever we had a serviceable quarterback in. So, yeah, it's a little early to make the debate. And recency bias is so big in the NFL. Like, Justin Fields has been amazing these past couple weeks. But up until this past couple weeks, he's been a below-average quarterback. So, I don't know. You can look at 
you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as Kyle Pitts has been underperforming this year after a great rookie year, and you can look at it as Justin Fields has been overperforming these past couple weeks. So maybe we'll revisit it at the end of the season and talk about it. But, yeah, I do think it's a little bit too early, but it's definitely becoming more of a debate than it ever has been. Don't get me wrong. These two guys are both absolute freaks, uh, beasts. I do think Justin Fields has a very bright future ahead of him. We and Kenny both were big fans of him at Georgia, continued that on to Ohio State, and now it's in Chicago, so we continue to root, to, root for him to this day. And it, us debating about Kyle Pitts has nothing to do with his skill, nothing to do with his, his athletic ability. It has to do with the Atlanta Falcons. That, that is the only thing, because I guarantee you this, and this is no discredit to Travis Kelsey because he is, he is the best tight in the NFL. He is a top three tight end in NFL history to me. But if you were to put Kyle Pitts in that Kansas City offense, he's putting over 1,000 yards every single season. No doubt in my mind. Yeah, I agree. i tell you what, before we hop off the Falcons, let me ask you a question. Oh, back at it. Let's see. Falcons had a Thursday night matchup against the Panthers. Okay. Right? Yes. November 10th. Headed into the next matchup on Sunday against the Bears, November 20th. Okay. 10 days. Yep, 10 days. Yeah, 10 10 day gap between two games. It felt like, it really felt like it in the Panthers game that if there was a time to put the rookie out there and see what he can do, that was the game to do it. The only thing I think that kept him off the field is the weather conditions. Marcus Mariota played one of the worst football games he has ever played in his career. One of the worst football games I can remember from a quarterback in Falcons history. Dude was trying to throw the ball while his back was on the ground down the field, getting throwing a clear interception that got called back because his butt was on the turf when he let go of the football. I don't know what he was doing. Is there a chance that Desmond Ritter trots out there this, this week? Hmm. I would say this right now. There is a zero, there is a negative 4% chance that he trots out on the first drive of the game. It will I don't not think happen. so either. No doubt, it, it, it will not happen. But this, I feel like... Do I think off- there's a chance, yes, that he plays in this game? Do I think it's a very small chance? Yes, I do think it's a very small chance. I still think it's going to be Mariota through this game. I think this is the best shot that we've had this season at seeing any Desmond Ritter action. I mean, I agree. It's a it's a home game. It's a it's a nice little you know one p.m. kick. Nothing nothing too too special. You're at home. You're going against a very very bad defense with Chicago. It makes perfect sense. But I don't know if this if this you know regime has the idea to make perfect sense moves. So uh, I don't know. And you 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 see you see uh, Artie Smith talk about it, and you know he's he's very 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 he's not very transparent. He just says, oh, it's not you know it's not it's not a question right now. So. He's not a very easy guy to read. He doesn't really let things out. So I, I have no idea, honestly. I would lean towards no, but uh, I, I think, you know, that that's probably the general consensus that it's probably not going to happen because, you know, odds aren't really with it. But, you know, it, it, there, there is a chance, yes. I just don't think it's going to happen. It's got me so concerned that the, <laughs> that the unwillingness, the refusal to play Desmond Ritter is going to be the downfall of this Falcons team. Well, I think it's the downfall of this team is that Demir Bird is your leading wide receiver in the game. That is also a downfall. That is also there's plenty of contributing factors to the downfall of this Falcons team. But boy, this Desmond Ritter situation has just got me questioning things right now. Yeah, I mean, and it's so because I I don't think 
In the grand scheme of things, he didn't play that bad of a game last week against Carolina, though, Kenny. And that, that, that's where the debate's going to happen. It wasn't great, no, but was it, the, it It definitely wasn't the worst Falcons game we've ever seen by quarterback. I mean, he did make that one stupid play where he was trying to make a play, which was absolutely abysmal. And, you know, luckily enough, his butt was down. He didn't throw an interception. But, you know, numbers-wise, he, he didn't look terrible. I know he did have a couple bad overthrows to Kyle Pitts across the middle, which, which probably would help us a lot. But I, I just don't think he has – I still don't think he's played bad enough to pull him out yet for the Atlanta Falcons. The numbers look significantly better than the gameplay. I can I can agree with that. Also, uh, you know, it also doesn't help Desmond Ritter's, you know, cost that he is uh he was our leading rusher when we ran the ball like thirty two times. Hey, Desmond Ritter, fastest forty time quarterback quarterback in like twenty years. I agree, but he was not much of a runner in college, so <laughs> I don't know how that's gonna translate. <laughs> Let him eat. Let him eat. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh it, it would be it, I think that would make this matchup a lot more fun seeing a Justin Fields Desmond Ritter matchup than a Marcus Mariota Justin Fields matchup, but We'll we'll see how it works out. I, I'm I am also excited to see Ritter at some point. Um, I do think the Falcons have kind of you know exceeded expectations. We kind of died off that point. Now we're kind of at the point now where we're kind of like coasting through the season, trying to see where we end up. I don't think we're a playoff team. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, because like we mentioned, we're facing some teams coming up that are having you know some pretty good success recently. Some teams that are kind of getting hot at the right times. Talking about like Washington and Chicago, two teams that you know if you'd ask me. A month and a half ago, I would think that we were going to destroy them. And now I'm looking at like, okay, they're probably going to beat us. So <laughs> it's kind it's of a tough. sad reality it, we ran into. It's tough out here for Falcons fans. It is. It is. We're back on that. We're back on the tough train. Now, hopefully uh, they, they come out, they ball out, and we went out and make the playoffs. But I don't see it happening. Right, let's get to the fun stuff, man. Let's, let's go. Oh, let's go. I'm itching. I'm itching. Let's go. All right, we've talked about it every single week. Uh, we, we break down the records and, and tell you guys how we've been doing. Um, it was another good week, a uh, plus side week on the betting. Um, we've been a little bit more even the past couple weeks. We've been trying to itch and, and get in there and scratch and claw our way to a little bit more plus betting numbers. Um, but, hey, you know, profit is profit. We're going to take what we can get. Uh, nine and seven week for the pod this week. Really, really good uh, numbers overall. We're sitting at 38, 25, and one on the year. So you're 14 units up if you're betting with your boys or winning you some money. Always. Um, so let's keep this thing going and, and move on, man. Uh, we, we follow the same kind of uh, strategy every single week format for how we place our bets. Let's get right into it. You know, I'm, I'm going I'm to pause you right quick, Kenny. And I do want to mention, I don't believe we've had a negative week yet. So we will take that as a huge positive. We will make you will, yeah, you are you are guaranteed to make money every week following our bets. It might not be the most money, but you're guaranteed to at least be a unit up for sure. There's no doubt. You're here complaining about winning money. That's a good thing to complain about. Yes, yes. So, and this is a week. This is this is this is most definitely a 16-0 week right here. We are ready for. Yeah, it. without a doubt, I'm going eight and zero. I can tell you that right now. I know Jake is too. So sixteen and zero. Pencil it in. Um, we're gonna keep saying it till it happens. So. <clears throat> College football, let's get right into it, Jake. Who is your favorite of the week? Favorite of the week, let's go. Okay, so my favorite of the week in college football, and it is an absolute insane, insane, insane spread to me. Come on, guys. Oregon State minus eight at Arizona State. Arizona State, we've talked about them enough times this season. They are absolutely abysmal at college football. Terrible team. About to pull up some numbers right quick, if, if you don't mind, Kenny. Um, I don't have them right in front of me. We're talking about a... Uh, we're talking about a team, man, that lost to Washington State 28-18, to going against a team that, you know, beat, like Oregon State, that beat Washington State pretty well. 
I, I just don't think Arizona's going to be able to compete. And Oregon State's actually a, a pretty good football team. So that spread's just too close for me. Give me Oregon State minus eight. Love it. My favorite of the week, I'm taking TCU minus two and a half against Baylor. Oh, getting a little I, fun. I like it. Home game for TCU. TCU uh, had a very, very big win last week against Texas in a game where they were seven-point dogs. This is the number four team in the country right now on the college football playoff rankings. Undefeated, one of the last four undefeated teams in college football right now. Uh, this Horn Frogs team, man, has been impressing everybody. Max Duggan looks amazing he's 2500 yards passing 25 touchdowns to two interceptions they can run the ball they have a almost 1200 uh, 1200 yard rusher uh, with 13 touchdowns as well this team can attack you through the air and on the ground um they have a solid defense uh, a defense that's been a little bit uh, they've been flown a little bit under the radar so far this year and they showed out big in that texas game um there were a couple things in the Texas game that really favored Texas. I think they had a scoop and score or a, a whatever it was, maybe a special teams um, touchdown. I can't remember what it was, but that, to kind of work those numbers up a little bit. But let's look at the breakdown, man. I, I'm looking at uh, this TCU-Baylor matchup. The defenses are identical. They both give up exactly 25.2 points per game, but TCU puts up over 40 points a game on offense, where Baylor puts up about 34. So uh, the numbers favor TCU in this. Um and then let's just look, you know, you know, we talk about simplifying things as much as possible. Baylor's a six and four team. They're six and four against the spread. TCU is ten and zero undefeated team, eight one and one against the spread this season. So the trends certainly follow TCU in this one. I think uh this Baylor team is not as good of a football team as I thought at the beginning of the year. Um, and I don't think they're as good of a football team as Texas. So um TCU, I think they make a big statement here and come out here with a win. I certainly think they cover the two and a half. Yeah, uh, a game between probably the most surprising team in college football this year and maybe the most disappointing team in college football this year. So I, I like that a lot, if you're not including uh, Crimson Tide. Yeah, for sure, if you're not including those Alabama, them Alabama boys. The um, Alabama boys. All right, let's head into the dogs, man. My underdog of the week, I'm taking Vandy, plus 14 and a half, at home against Florida. Ooh, Okay. Uh, this Vandy team, man, they got some dogs. They showed up last week, huge, in a win against Kentucky in a game nobody would have thought. I actually picked Kentucky to cover in this one. They were a like 14-point favorite or 17-point favorite, whatever it was. Um, and they were one of my picks, and it came back to bite me in the rear on this one. Um, this Vanderbilt team, they're not a very good football team. Do not get me wrong. But they've been impressing a lot of people. They can move the ball through the air as well. As on the ground, um, they've got a 900-yard rusher as well as uh, you saw the Mike Wright stuff and then A.J. Swan. Both of these guys can play. Both of them are, are pretty good quarterbacks. Um, I think this Vanderbilt team has been playing better football here recently, and I think they cover the 14.5 against uh, Florida this week. They go out there. They let Mike Wright start the game and play throughout the game, and they win football games. Mike Wright was a guy we were saying was the Heisman winner after three weeks. He was a baller, balling out at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt started off the season hot, got kind of cold. A.J. Swan, really, really pro-style guy, guy that looks like he could be a stud. But, dude, there's something about Mike Wright and that Vanderbilt Commodores team that just rolls, man. I love it so much. I'm probably not going to tell with you, with you on this one, Kenny. I'm not going to lie because Florida makes me nervous. But I do respect the bet. It does It does seem like does seem like a good one. Uh, 14 and a half is a lot of points. And like you mentioned, man, Man, they just came off a big win against Kentucky. This key, this team is rolling right now. And uh, what is what is the thing you have to get for um? You have to have six wins to be bowl eligible, right? Yep. 
hey, don't get me wrong. I know, I know they got I know they got a little tough road ahead with Florida and uh, Tennessee. But, hey, they come in to sneak one right here on the road back-to-back. They win three in a row against Kentucky, uh, Florida, and Tennessee. They get to play Florida and Tennessee at home. Oh, man, them Commodores going to be rolling right to a bowl, baby. Let's do it. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's go, Commies. And that brings me right to my underdog of the week. And my underdog of the week is Oregon plus two versus Utah. Um, a- another another pretty, pretty, pretty simple one for me, guys. Uh, one of these teams is very, very good at football. And another team is, you know, they people say that they're good at football. But I don't think that they're as good as what people think. Um, and, you know, Oregon's the good team. Utah's the team I don't think is as good as what people think. Um, I do think it's going to be a close game. But... By no stretch of the imagination should Oregon be underdogs. I know they're coming off a loss against Washington. That's not Oregon, guys. Keep an eye on these guys. They are going to come out and ball out. I'm I'm really, really excited for this game. No, I like that a lot. I think this Oregon team, especially coming off a loss, um, this is a really, really good football team. This is a team a lot of people thought were going to work their way into the playoffs, win that Pac-12, and they had a very disappointing performance against Washington this past week. Um, so they need to get right game. They're going to come in here and fight their way back in that Pac-12 championship and, you know, probably in a matchup against USC, it looks like, um, which is going to be a really, really exciting football game to watch because if USC wins that one, they're probably in. And uh, Oregon has just about lost every opportunity they have to get in, but you know those boys are cooking. And Bo Nix, he's trying to get drafted, trying to make some money. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, looking at the big key matchup to me that they have in, in common, and that's that's UCLA, obviously, and a really good football team. It's coming off a pretty pretty heartbreaking loss. Um, they played you they played UCLA um, pretty close to each other, and Utah had a 10-point loss against them, and Oregon had a 15-point win. So, you know, all signs of point at Oregon. You got Oregon at home. We'd love to see it. Love it. Um, all right, Jake, why don't you kick us off with your over of the week? Okay, so my over the week, I'm going to go a little bit out of the ordinary right here. I'm going to kind of go off the rails a little bit. Usually I try to stay around the big games, but sometimes you can't really stay around the big games too much. So my over the week is going to be Florida State versus the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, over 52 points. Um, Florida State is a team that, again, I feel like might be kind of rolling right now, coming off a, coming off a 35-point victory against Syracuse. But, hey, hold up. Louisiana can also put up. A little bit of points right here. These are two teams that can put up points. Uh, Florida State's defense does make me a little bit nervous in this game. And, you know, they do have the ability to maybe shut down Louisiana. But, uh, you know, there is a fair chance Louisiana can, you know, give you a little 14, give you a little 17 and help it out a little bit. And like I said, man, Jordan Travis and them Florida State Seminoles, they look good right now. So I'm going to roll with that over right there. I like it. I like it a lot. That brings me into my over. My over is a little bit of a weird one for me. This is these are two teams that I don't typically bet on. Um, but I saw this number. I felt like it was a little bit low, for especially for a game where I think both these teams are going to be really competitive with each other. And I'm taking the over 39-and-a-half Wisconsin-Nebraska. Um, oh, man. Who's going to watch that? <laughs> not me. Not me. 39-and-a-half, uh, <laughs> I think it's just not enough, man. You look at the matchup right here. This Wisconsin offense putting up 29 points a game to Nebraska's 24 points a game. Um Wisconsin plays pretty good defense. They they limit teams to 21 points a game on average, 307 total yards per game, which is really, really good in college football. Um, this Nebraska team does not play defense at all. They give up 30 points a game and 440 total yards of offense per game. Um, I think this uh, this Wisconsin team is going to be able to move the football against this Nebraska defense. 
And um, this is just a game that we've seen be competitive every single year. Uh, Nebraska seems like they've been playing a little bit better football since they fired Scott Frost. So I think you head into a game like this. Uh, I just I feel pretty good about the 39 and a half. I, I don't think that's enough. I respect it. It is, it is a very, very low point total. I, I, I respect it for sure. All right. What about you? Well, I, I hit my over already. I did the Florida State versus Louisiana over 52. Oh, yeah. But, uh, well, why don't you give me your under? Okay, so under. Um, this is a game. This is where I'm where I'm banking on a team right here that I do not think is very good, even though they're coming off a pretty good performance last week. So I'm going to go under the 48 in the Clemson versus Miami game. Um, I look at it. I do think Clemson's going to be able to put up some points on Miami, no doubt. I just don't know about this Miami offense whatsoever. Like I said, they had a really good performance last week against Georgia Tech. But, man, this team has been bad. They have put together some stinkers this year. And uh, 48, man, that, that just seems like a little bit too much. I could see this game being like a being like a classic old, you know, 28 to, you know, 7, 7 game. I don't really see Clemson, you know, putting out too much. One thing that makes me a little bit nervous about Clemson, though, is they have tended to play pretty close games throughout this year with, with, with a good bit of teams. But uh, I, I, am, I am excited to watch this one. And like I said, man, that Clemson defense is probably going to be all over this Miami offense. I like that a lot. I think this uh, Miami team has been an absolute <clears throat> dumpster fire here lately, and um, Clemson is doing everything they can to keep their name in the in the hunt right now. So they they're going to have to start proving some people wrong heading into these last couple of weeks. So this is going to be a big statement for them. So I agree with you 100. percent That defense is real too. So yes. Um, my under of the week. I'm taking the Boston College Notre Dame under 42 and a half. Um. This one is a little bit against my trends because this Notre Dame team has been a team that has found their offense here lately. They've been slinging the ball through the air. Um, they also run the ball pretty effectively as well. The reason I'm taking the under in this one is because that Notre Dame defense is pretty good, man. They're, they're limiting teams with 22 points per game and under 340 total yards of offense. And you look at this Boston College offense. Um, they mm. cannot move the ball through the air. And on the ground, I don't know if we've seen a weaker rushing attack in college football this season. Um, Boston College's leading rusher has under 300 yards rushing this season. It's terrible. It is so bad. Um, I think this Notre Dame team is a team that's going to come out here, especially with how they've been playing lately. Uh, they're sitting at 18 right now in the playoff rankings. They're probably going to work their way up to a top 15 spot heading into next week which is going to be pretty big for them and pretty big for USC because USC is going to head into two big ranked matchups against UCLA and Notre Dame to kind of boost up their resume. Um, but no, I, I expect Notre Dame to win this one. I expect them to win pretty heavily in 42 and a half. I don't know if this Boston College team is going to score more than seven, maybe 10 points against this defense. And um, I, I, I feel pretty good about the under 42 and a half in this one. Yeah, you look at their past two weeks, they, they have put up, they have put up 52 in their last two weeks, but the three weeks before that, man, they put up three against Connecticut. They put up 15 against Wake Forest, and we know about that Wake Forest defense. It's not very good, and they put up three against Clemson. This is a team, like you said, that just can't move the ball on offense very well. And it's funny because Phil Jerkovich is a guy going into the season that we were talking about as being a guy that could be a good quarterback. And, yeah, we were probably wrong on that. And also, you know, to be fair, when you have zero run game, it puts so much pressure on a quarterback because defenses know exactly what you're going to try to do. And, it, you know, at a high level of football, it doesn't work like that. Like, you can't just go into a game and, and let teams know exactly what your, what your goal is. Right, and in a game where you have no rushing attack and you're forced to throw the ball against a Notre Dame defense that's allowing under 200 yards passing per game, it's just not a very good matchup for you. Not at all. 
All right, you got any more college games you're looking at this week? Any more college games I'm looking at this week? Uh, let me pull up my little slate right quick. Uh, hold up. Let me let me pull up my top twenty-five. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing. Um, I I, I think I'm gonna stick away from Georgia. I'm gonna let everybody know that right now. Twenty-two and a half is. I I do think we can pull that off, but uh, I'm not in love with that number. Um, we talk about Kentucky and. I do hope Georgia cleans up the turnovers a little bit, but if we don't clean up the turnovers, this game could easily be within that 22 and a half and still be a one-sided game. So I'm, I'm probably going to stick away there. Also, don't really like the over-under at all. So uh, I'll, I'll probably just stay away from that game. Um, it was kind of hard for me to pick games. I, I think I do like Kansas State minus seven and a half at West Virginia. This West Virginia team just not very good. And Kansas State has had some pretty big wins this year. So I'm going to keep my eye on that one. Also, Ohio State-Maryland. Ohio State, um, if Penn State can beat Maryland by 30, I think Ohio State could probably do something similar. My one nerve thing is is that I do think Penn State has a little bit better defense than Ohio State does in a game like this. I do think Ohio State has the potential to give up more points. In Penn State, you know, last week they, they pitched a shutdown against Maryland. So I, I don't think that Ohio State would be able to do that. So I'd probably keep an eye on that. Um, NC State is a team that, you know, lost, lost Devin Leary early on in the season. They've been rolling with the backup. And I, I think they started to kind of get – kind of put things together a little bit more recently. Actually, they just lost to lost college last week. Uh, that makes things kind of weird. Let's roll with Louisville. I will give you all this pick right here. Let's roll with Louisville minus four. Louisville is a team that has been hot. They lost to Clemson last week. But before that, man, they were rolling. So I like Louisville Cardinals minus four. Uh, anything else for me on the slate of beautiful football? Um... The Ole Miss-Arkansas game is very intriguing, but I have a hard time betting against Arkansas because I feel like this is a team that still has the potential to, to beat, you know, a lot of these teams. I agree. Uh, also, LSU-UAB, man. I know we talk about UAB sometimes, and UAB is a very tough team, but good God, it's 15 points. Uh, 15 points does not seem like enough at all to me. So I, yeah. I, I think I'm going to have my money on LSU just, just from the fact that Man, 15 against UAB, a team that's lost four in a row to them. Actually, they won. They beat UNT last week, but they lost to UTSA, they lost to FAU, they lost to Western Kentucky, and they lost to the Citadel. So. Or is that like Citadel? That, no, Charlotte. My fault. Charlotte, even worse. That's one that I was looking at with the LSU one. I ended up staying away for this one because uh, 90% of the bets are on LSU and 93% of the money is on LSU. So that's a little bit concerning for the public standpoint, but I, it's actually 14 and a half on FanDuel. Um, you would think the team that's clinched the SEC West is going to match up against that Georgia team in the SEC championship is going to win by more than two touchdowns against UAB. Um, so I do like that. I'm also looking at Syracuse. Syracuse is nine and a half point dog at Wake Forest this week. Um, that's an interesting one for me. I know Syracuse dealing with some injury problems, um, but Syracuse has proven to be a pretty good football team, and, man, they can run the football against a Wake Forest defense that has been very, very bad. Um, also right here, I think you get pretty some some pretty good odds right here, a pretty good line uh, or a number on the money line. Um, USC, two-and-a-half-point favorite against UCLA this week. You can get a minus-128 on the money line. I uh, may take a little peek at that one. I think USC will come away with a win here. I think USC's kind of put things together. They've been playing better football. Caleb Williams is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. I know the defense is the big concern with USC. Um, so, the, you know, that that's definitely there. But this UCLA team has fallen off as of late. And uh, USC, um, they got to play some really good football right now if they want to make that playoff. So I do like that. I don't know about – I mean, two and a half is not a big number, but – you know, you can get minus 110 for them to cover two and a half or minus 128 for them to win money line. 
I, I like the money line there. Um, let's see. I had a couple more. Uh, where was uh? Okay, uh, this is a pretty interesting one. Um, Texas A&M. You talk about one of the most disappointing teams in college football. Yeah, they're up. Texas, Texas A&M, man. Um, they got a cupcake week. They're playing UMass at home, and they're opening as a 33-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I don't know if Texas A&M can score 34 points. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> Against a middle school team. So, if you're taking a peek at anything, man, UMass plus 33 and a half at A&M this weekend, that could be one to take a little peek at. Um, and then there was another one in here somewhere. I know I'm missing it. Auburn, I ain't going to lie. Auburn, five and a half against Western Kentucky. I know Western Kentucky's been winning some games this year. But come on, guys. I, I, I'm going to have to put at least a little sprinkle on that. That just seems there's too much blowout potential to me for that. Um, here it is. Uh, Houston, East Carolina. East Carolina's a team that we've talked about a lot. They've actually won us some money. This team is is pretty slept on. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. They got a really good offense. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're in a matchup against a Houston team that has not been playing very good football this season, but it's still a, a pretty good team when you look at who is on it and the talent that they have on that ball on that ball team. Um. So Houston comes in as a five and a half point underdog traveling to East Carolina this weekend. I think I'm gonna take a little look there at Houston covering that five and a half. Another, another. Uh, we're riding the riding the way of disappointing teams right now. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Another one of Houston. But that, but that wraps up for me in college. It wraps up for me too. By the way, Derrick Henry has a touchdown pass. So you know, things are okay. Looking, look, things are getting kind of frisky on on T and F. Oh, Amazon Thursday night football. Little Derrick Henry to Austin Hooper Tud Pass. Oh, love to see it. That'd be twenty one nine. Love it for my love it for my plus three bet in Tennessee. All right, let's dive into the men's league a little bit here. Um, I guess you kicked it off on college. I'll kick it off on the NFL. Uh my favorite of the week in the NFL, I am taking Ooh, I don't I, I don't want to say it's too good to be true, but boys, this one it the more I look at it, the more stinky it looks because it just seems like they're giving us one here, boys. The Washington Commanders are traveling to take on the worst team in the NFL, the Houston Texans, as a three-point favorite. Um, give me Washington right here. This is a no-doubter for me. This Washington team has been playing very, very good football lately. Taylor Heineke, he's drinking bush lights. He's wearing chains. He's popping zins after the football game. He is everything you want in a franchise quarterback, and this is a guy that got benched for Carson Wentz in the offseason. You bring a guy like Carson Wentz in and pay him $30 million. He definitely looks like he's going to be your starter. But Taylor Heineke, he's just got that dog in him, man. Yeah, Taylor Heineke's a dog. Uh, I'm also going to kind of cover this with you because that is also my favorite. We're following trend right here. Um, look at Washington. Washington's a team that has kind of found their way with Taylor Heineke. F uh, 4-1, and one, their last uh, five games total, 5-0 uh, and oh against the spread. So they've been kind of rolling. Also, Houston has – what, Houston is uh, – what, their one – what is their record this year? Like one seven and one or something like that. One seven and one. Yes, Houston is one seven and one. Uh, the tie, obviously, they beat Jacksonville. Um, no big deal. And they have one loss that was within three points, and it was three points on the dot. 
every other loss has been more than three. So kind of keep an eye on that. I think I love this game right here, man. I think this Washington team has been playing really good football lately. If they don't win by more than three points, what are you doing? Yeah, it's uh it's abysmal. Also, um Houston allows 181 yards per game on the ground. Uh I kind of told Jacob and Kitty about this uh last week talking about uh this Commanders team going against that Philadelphia team and talk about how Philadelphia does not have a good run defense to put some money on these player props for these for these Commanders rushers. And let's just say Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson both hit the over. So we we love to see that. Had a little nice parlay with Heineke in there with the over. Didn't quite get it for me, but that's okay. I, I was I was three quarters of the way there, so it kind of felt good. You yeah, know, I lost money. Right on the fringe. Right on the fringe. It was going to be like a nice little, nice little five-time money parlay. But, you know, Heineke couldn't pull it off for him. But he's pulling off wins with Washington, man. And uh, they're kind of rolling right now. So, And we talked about Houston, man. Houston could play Georgia right now, and it'd be a 30-point game. It, I honestly think so. It might be. It really might be. Um, all right, Jay, give me your underdog. My underdog of this week, um, and this this is a pretty easy one because we saw we saw what Washington did to Philadelphia last week on the ground. I'm gonna roll with Indianapolis plus seven versus Philadelphia, man. At home, you give me Indianapolis, a team that you know they got Matt Ryan back at quarterback. Jonathan Taylor seemed like he kind of found his way last week against Oakland or Vegas. My fault, dude. I just I think that they're gonna keep this game competitive and. I do like that Philadelphia team. I do think they are a good football team. Do I think they have been playing a little bit above their head this season? Yes, a thousand percent. So I don't really have any advanced numbers I dove into. I just looked at it, trying to think about my past, my past thoughts. Um, but you know, you got Jeff Saturday in Indianapolis. Now let's let's start let's start off two and zero, Jeff. Let's do it. I like it a lot. You talk about Jeff Sunday, man. He is an absolute dog. Jeff Sunday. He is uh, officially the best. Coach in NFL history has the highest winning percentage out of any coach in NFL history. So shout out Jeff Sunday. Um, dude is an absolute dog. So, uh, no, I'm with you. I think this Indianapolis team has really been able to find their footing here these last couple weeks. They come in here as a – what did you say that line was? Uh, it is seven. Okay, so seven. Um, yeah, I like that, man. I think Jonathan Taylor – he came in the year as, like, number one on everyone's fantasy boards. Talk about him being the best running back in the NFL. Um, I know he's battled some injuries. It's been kind of a disappointing year. They went through the whole fiasco with Sam Mellinger and Matt Ryan. But get Matt Ryan back in there, and he uh, goes out there with a 40-yard rush last week. So yeah, Matt, Matt Ryan is humming. Um, my underdog of the week, this one, I, I don't really have any numbers to back this one up. It's just too too big for me. I'm taking the Carolina Panthers plus 13 at Baltimore. Um, Baker Mayfield's in as the starter. He comes in and takes over for P.J. Walker. Um, Jake actually mentioned it to me at the beginning of the show, if you're watching on the live side of things. Apparently, Baker Mayfield has been not very good against the Ravens in his career. So that is certainly a concern in this game. Um, but 13 points in the NFL is a lot of points. And I know this Ravens team is very, very good. Um, but 13 points is a lot regardless of who you're playing. And I think this Panthers team can cover the 13. I mean, you just saw them beat the Falcons without Baker Mayfield. Um, they can run the football. Um, the passing attack has been kind of lackluster, but you got guys in there like DJ Moore that can make plays. Um, I, I just I feel like they can keep it within 13 here. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Anytime you get a spread that big in the NFL, you have to at least take a peek at it. And, you know, I'm not going against you betting it for sure. I damn, right, sure, wouldn't, I damn sure wouldn't bet the other way. 
No, 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 no. Yeah, you'll never find me taking a 13-point a favorite in the NFL. No, thank you. Um, I'll hop into my over, man. Uh, this is probably my favorite bet of the week in the NFL, I will say. Five-star play right here for me. Okay. I'm taking the over 38-and-a-half Jets-Patriots. Um, this Jets-Patriots matchup is pretty interesting because as of where they stand right now, every single team in the AFC East is making the playoffs if the playoffs started tomorrow. Um, this Jets team has been playing very, very good football this year. Zach Wilson has been able to kind of put it together these past couple weeks. Um, he's making some stupid decisions. That's just kind of his game. He's a strong-arm, athletic guy. He's a guy that gets caught a lot of times trying to extend plays a little bit too much, um, and it comes to bite him in the end. But when you talk about total offensive production, the last time these teams met, Zach Wilson went for 355 yards and two touchdowns. He threw three interceptions in that football game. Three interceptions is absolutely terrible. Um, and this Patriots defense is good. You talk about a guy like Bill Belichick, obviously greatest coach of all time other than Jeff Saturday. Um, <laughs> they they just have a knack of, of hurting these young quarterbacks. But three interceptions, if you were to – I don't know what the odds are on a quarterback's on a quarterback throwing three interceptions two games in a row against the same team. But I would like to say that they're not very good. Um, but if you can come out here and put in 355 passing yards and two touchdowns, um, it went over in the last game. I will tell you that. Um, so I, I feel really, really good about this one, and I like that. I don't think 38.5 is enough points in this football game. No, I don't think so either. Like you said, it's two in-division rivals right here. They're facing off. Both of them are, have pretty high playoff aspirations, especially them Jets, man. Pulling up, just straight up, you know, becoming one of the one of the you know better teams around the league this year so far. So, you know, we love to see it. Um, it's definitely gonna be a, a really really fun game to keep an eye on. Also, uh, Christian Watson, another touchdown catch. Absolute stud, dude. Picked him up off waivers as well. He's sitting on my bench this week. So, um, if you're looking for fantasy advice, maybe don't ask me. We're looking at five tuds. We're looking at five tuds through uh, five tuds through two weeks. Aaron Jones with a two-point conversion. Give me some points, baby. I have a question. Did he run the ball? I didn't even see it. I just saw him walk in the end zone. Those don't count towards your stats, do they? Yeah, they do. They do count for, like, rushing stats and stuff? Oh, rushing stats, I don't know. I'm talking about fantasy points. Oh, fantasy uh, points. I know you get a point for two-point conversions. I don't know if they count for passing stats and stuff, though. I, I have no clue. I've never even looked into that. That is a very good question. You have to do a little bit of post-podcast research on. Yeah, definitely. I have no idea. Right, so over. Over for me. Um, over for me is uh, Atlanta versus Chicago. Over 49. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit with the Atlanta Falcons earlier. Defense is bad. Uh, defense is not very good. We do get A.J. Terrell back, but... I'm not sure how much that's going to help the Falcons this week against a team that, you know, with a guy like Justin feels like can just run the ball all over you. Um, but on the other side of the ball, Chicago's defense is also very bad. And if you look at Chicago's past couple games, a lot of high-scoring matchups. So hopefully it doesn't stop this weekend. We get a lot of points. We get a really, really fun ball game in Atlanta. So I'm, I'm hoping for that over 49.5. I'm, I'm riding the wave right now. Riding the hype, baby. I like it. You got to ride the hype, man. Sometimes you got to do it. All right, let's dive into the unders. What do you guys, your under of the week? My under of the week in my final official bet of the week. Yeah, I am going under 41 and a half Denver versus Las Vegas. Um, for some reason, Denver just seems like they always, uh, 
they hold teams. Don't get me wrong. They hold teams to low scores, but they also don't score points. Uh, so so I'm, I'm kind of just riding Denver's wave right now. I don't think they've had a game this season other than other than when they faced, they did face Vegas earlier this year. That is the only game they've played this season that has went over that number. Um, so <laughs> with how odd look right now, um, I, I don't think it might, I don't think it's going to happen twice. So let, let's roll with it. No, I like that a lot. Um, a kind of similar fashion for me in my underpick. I'm taking the 49ers Cardinals under 43 and a half. Um, I'm taking this one strictly off defense, man. 49ers, number one rushing offense in, or rushing defense in the league. Um, number three defense in the league in points per game. This 49ers defense gives up 18 points per game. Um, that is crazy in the NFL. Um, and they only score 22. And then you look on the Cardinal side of the ball, they score 23 points a game and allow 26. Um, this 49ers offense is not very high powered against the Cardinals defense. That you know the the mismatch in this game is 49ers offense against Cardinals defense. And fortunately for my bet, the 49ers offense does not put up very many points. So I'm kind of banking on the uh, San Francisco 49ers defense to be able to limit the Cardinals offense in this game. Also, I will say I believe both Kyler Murray and Colt McCoy, the backup, are dealing with injuries this week. Yeah. Uh... I, I'm looking at that right now as well. Also, if Kyler goes, they're they're facing a downgraded quarterback because Colt McCoy is the guy. Um, this is this is all jokes, by the way, everybody. Don't take this stuff too seriously. But Colt McCoy did look very very good last week, and we we've seen Kyler Murray this year. He's been very very up and down. So hopefully Kyler gets back on the field. He looks good for my fantasy team, Kenny. I'm gonna have to go against the under just for the fact that Kyler Murray is my starting fantasy quarterback and James Conner is my starting fantasy running back. So <laughs> I, I need some points, man. I need it, please. I'm fighting for a playoff spot right now. We can both win in this one. Maybe the Cardinals win 42-0. Honestly, we got into a little cheap paid fantasy league. If I put $20 on the under right here and it hit, I'd probably take that. That's like half of what we win if we're winning a fantasy championship. So, like, exactly. okay, maybe maybe it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that rounds up for official picks, Jake. You got anything else you're looking at in the league? Man, uh, not really, man. I, I, I tried to tried to scan through. I, I couldn't find too many things I love. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a quick little scan through again. Rams, Saints, absolutely crap. Shoot, nobody wants to put any money on that, right? Uh, Lions, Giants. I do like the Giants, but I also like the Lions. They scare me quite a bit, even though they're going to New York. Um, you already mentioned the Panthers, Ravens, uh, Commanders, I'll tell you Texans. One. Yeah, I'll tell you one I like. I really, really like the Minnesota Vikings opening up as an underdog against the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Ed, that that is a very, very interesting one, especially in Minnesota, where where things can get kind of frisky. Also, um, I did peek at the over because I think that game is going to be a fun one to watch. I'm very excited about it. No, I think uh, you get the Vikings a plus one ten on the money line. That's a pretty pretty good bit for me. I will I, I'll probably be on that one. Oh yeah, gotta be right. Like it, it, if you can get a team like that as an underdog and you can get a money line pick at plus money, it just makes sense to at least put a little sprinkle in there. Gotta do it. Also, it kind of gives you a little bit more initiative to watch the game. Like, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a Falcons fan, so obviously, like, I, I don't really care who wins that game. Like, I don't have a team I'm going to root for, but it does make me kind of have a little bit more feel for one of the exciting games of the day. No, for sure. Anytime you got some money, it, it, that's the thing about fantasy football too. Is when you got players that are playing for teams that you don't necessarily care about, it just gives you a little bit more interest in the football game. And that's the same thing with betting, man. When you got money on somebody, you're the biggest fan in the world. Mm-hmm. 
I'm the biggest anti-fan of Aaron Jones right now because of my my under prop. Uh, I, you can get all the receiving yards you want to do, Kenny, for the fans. Thank you. Team. I pre- appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, but that wraps it up for me. I'm 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 all good. We're at an hour twenty three right now, so we're 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 pretty deep. Uh, we try to keep these things short, but it does not work out in our favor. Yeah, and you know we're one episode a week this week, so we had a lot to cover. But yeah, man, that pretty much covers it for me. Um, you know, we we went over a lot of things. We're we're hot and heavy on the betting side of things. We're doing pretty good. So let's keep that thing rolling. And um, you know, surefire sixteen and zero week for the boys this week. We love to see it. Let's do it. All right, all right. Well, before we head out of here, man, I mentioned at the beginning. Thank you guys so much for all the support. Be sure to check us out on all the socials. You see the Twitter right here on YouTube. Check us out on YouTube if you haven't. Um, we, we try and get out here a little bit early and put out some uh, some pretty interesting conversations before the podcast takes place. So hop in here and, and interact with us a little bit. Let us know your thoughts. And be sure to interact with us on Twitter, man. Get on there. Give us a little bit of discussion. Let us know what you guys are thinking. Um, we really appreciate any kind of interaction or feedback we can get from you boys that helps us make the show better. Well, that was beautiful, Kenny. I, I think that wraps us up pretty well. Uh, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you all next time.